Uh, we're looking in a little uh, series at the moment, four-week series, of what real change is. Uh, how much we need Jesus in our everyday lives. If we're to become people um, who glorify God in a world where we know we sin, where we know people sin against us, and where there's so much suffering, so much, suffering, so much uncertainty, how do we live in that kind of world and change to become like Jesus? Uh, recap of last week, sort of week one, part one. We saw that God is changing us, and he's changing us to be like Jesus. And he's changing us in the situations of life. Not so much removing us from those situations, but changing us in the process from people that trust uh, in men or trust in our own strength to people that trust in him. Jeremiah 17 rem reminded us that we often react to the pressures of life in thorny ways. And the reasons for these negative reactions and the consequences that come from them, and we saw that our hearts are the issue. Our hearts are deceitful above all things. We can't know them. They're desperately sick, desperately wicked. And that even our sin itself is engraved on our hearts. It seems like our very identity. And that when we turn from God, turn our hearts from God, no good comes. We're like that thorn bush in the salt land. But of course there is great hope uh, for healing and salvation. There is our great God who's the fountain of living water. And those who trust in God are like the ones that find themselves planted next to the stream, always bringing forth uh, green leaves and fruit. Uh, this same God, Jeremiah 31, 33, promises us, this same God will change our hearts. He'll write his law on our hearts. Next week, we're going to begin to unpack a little bit more of what it looks like uh, to change our hearts in defining re repentance and faith. And the week after that, we'll look at how do we have fruit that lasts and what's the source of that fruit. This week, though, is we want to focus in on the heart just shortly, um, just to see that the heart is the cause of so many things in our lives, for good or for bad. And when we're looking at the world and see that we need to change, we need to become more like Jesus, we need to examine our hearts well. Now, have you ever been in a situation uh, where you've said something and you've automatically wished you could take it back? Like just the moment it's coming out of your mouth, you know, oh, that was contrary to KFC's clever marketing, not every awkward statement can be covered with good fried chicken. Just saying, if you're aware of KFC's ads where someone will do something or say something very awkward and so distract from the moment they say, did someone say KFC? That would work for me, probably, but it doesn't work in every situation. And although in those situations, we might well say, where did that come from? We say to ourselves. And sometimes we say, well, it's just a brain fade. We weren't thinking. Well, most of the time, when we're truly honest, when we do come out with something inappropriate or just awkward, we're actually thinking it first. Jesus knows the real issue of our speech and the conduct of our lives comes from our hearts. He said in Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want to quote just extensively from a guy named Paul Tripp, um, who quotes on this passage in talking about the heart. It's important to understand what Jesus is saying. Our, our words do what our hearts have already done. 
Our words have power and value because everything the heart does has holy value in the eyes of the one who's entrusted us with that ability. The heart thinks, and our words are the way those thoughts are communicated and transferred to God or others. Our heart desires, and our words are the way we communicate what, how, why, when, and where we want the things that our hearts have come to desire. The heart loves, and every day the loves of our heart are intentionally or unintentionally communicated to God and those near us. And our heart worships, and our words reveal what it rules our hearts. Every reaction we have flows from our heart, and every negative reaction, therefore, flows from our heart as well. Our reactions show what our hearts really think, what we're really processing, what we really feel, what we really trust in, what we really love. Where we've placed our hope will be shown in how we speak and act. In other words, another way of thinking about it as well, our reactions to life show us what rules or what's ruling instead of God. What have we replaced God with? What do we serve instead of God can often be revealed in how we act in life. And this is important because diagnosing what is wrong will determine what the cure is. Uh, Tim Lane and Paul Tripp have written a book, How People Change, and in it they say this. The Bible says my real problem is not psychological, as in low self-esteem or unmet needs. It's not social, bad relationships or bad influences. It's not historical, my past, or physiological, my body. These are all significant influences, but my real problem is spiritual. My straying heart and my need for Jesus. We need Jesus. We desperately need him. And Jesus here in Luke 6, 43 to 45, echoes Jeremiah 17 in giving us an image of a fruit tree and thorn bushes. And he shows that our hearts need to change. And I've got a couple of questions again for us to consider this morning, just as we did last week as we walked through that uh, image of the two, the three trees, in a way. First question, as we think about fruit trees and thorn bushes, is, which are you? Which am I? Uh, in our garden, we've got a wonderful little peach tree that's punching well above its weight in the fruit load it's bearing at the moment. <clears throat> as it's close to the water hose, it does get watered. Spare for, for the sort of poor crepe myrtle that's at the end of the hose, and I can't be bothered. But because our little peach tree is there and it's growing so well, and it gets regular watering, especially at this time, all these little thistles and burrs from the clover grass are springing up around its base. And weeding them is frustrating, it's annoying. I don't like getting prickles in my hand. I don't like the way our lawn is infested with weeds at times. And I've often looked at them and said, why can't you be something useful? Why can't you be something else? Why can't you be something practical? But the root and the seed that these thistles and burrs grow from determine what they become. They can't be anything else. Jesus uses this same gardening analogy when speaking about our hearts. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Figs produce figs. Thorn bushes produce thorns. You can know what kind of tree it is by its 
fruit. At no point anytime soon am I going to go into my backyard and find something edible on those little thistles or birds. If I was to dig up my fruitful peach tree and examine its roots, I'm not going to find a thorn bush masquerading with fruit. Those things are clear to us. And there's a question that we're being driven to consider, and Jesus' audience was being driven to consider. Which am I? And which are you? In your everyday life and your interactions, what kind of fruit do you produce? Well, we might well say, well, we're a mix. If you catch us at the right time, under the right circumstances, we're in season and we're delicious. But at other times, you don't want to walk barefoot around us because we're a bit prickly. We're basically good. But when we just react bad when something bad happens to us. But of course, our reactions are always justified. And in comparison to someone else's, of course, never quite as prickly. The interesting context in which Jesus is speaking here about fruit trees and thorn bushes comes after he's just been speaking from verses 37 uh, through to verse 42 about the dangers of judging others. How we can judge others for little things and overlook big things in our lives. We point out someone's speck while ignoring the log in our own eye. And this sort of gives us the illustration as well as he builds up to verse 45, how the abundance of the heart, the mouth, speaks. If you want to know whether you're producing thorns or fruit, look at how you interact with and judge others. There's a word of warning here, of course, for us. And I think especially in this season where there's so much division, where there's a lot of um, judgment, where people are, are making different personal choices that not everybody else understands. We've established and that I do not know my heart. It's, my own heart is deceitful. I can't know it. What I do know of it is that it's wicked and it's desperately sick. And if I know that I am prone to have blind spots and I can't accurately diagnose my own motives at times, I should be very careful in assuming motives about others' actions. We place ourselves in great danger when we call others to account. Because we, Jesus says, we must live by the same standard that we call others to, and we can't do that. We can't even do that, so why would we expect others to do that? And when our heart is full of judgment and of condemnation, and that spills over into our speech of others, and we call them things that we've thought that they are, there's great danger in that. We're revealing something of our hearts that's wrong, that has a bad root. Ed Welsh puts it succinctly, he says, our claims to accurate judgment about another person are not always reliable and our best approach with a bit less confidence in ourselves. We can know a tree by its fruit, but it's God that judges the motives of the heart. 
It's God alone that searches and knows the heart, as Jeremiah 17.10 tells us. And 1 Samuel 16.7 also warns us that it's a man that looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We must be careful with what we fill our hearts with, especially in our thoughts about others, in comparison to others. How then does a fruit tree move from producing bad fruit to good fruit? How does a thorn bush become a fruit tree? It can cause a total transformation. The root must change. The whole identity of the tree must change. Not just a grafting in, but a total transplant. The thorn bush has to be completely uprooted and a good fruitful tree put in its place. We have to remove ourselves as the Lord of our lives and the Lord of others' lives and have Jesus as Lord, just as Jesus goes on to talk about, about building our houses on the rock and the sure foundation of his word. That's the only thing we can do, that we live out our lives with the sure authority of his word and of having him as Lord, not us. The fruit shows the root. And when the root is bad, so is the fruit. The next question then, as Jesus moves from talking about fruit trees and thorn bushes, he talks talking about treasures in verse 45. So the next question then we have as we think about treasures of the heart is what do you love? Our five-year-old uh, Sam and <clears throat> a neighbour's boy, the same age, they spend much time playing uh, in each other's homes and exploring the little area that we live in. And one of their favourite things to do in the last uh, few weeks is to search our sort of shared driveway area and all the bushes and shrubs and pick up anything they deem as treasure. And they're quite excited about their treasures that they find. Now these treasures, so-called, often amount to bottle caps, uh, soy sauce containers from sushi places, screws, nuts, bolts, springs, rocks, and little chunks of concrete. They once filled up a little bucket I gave them with their treasures. What we truly value, the things we hold on to dearly, are revealed when our lives are closely observed, when our fruit is closely observed. Jesus moves that analogy from the trees, sorry, from gardens to treasures, and shows that what we love whether good or evil, shows itself out in our lives, whether for good or evil. So what do I love? What do you love? What do I carry around in my treasure chest? What do you carry around in yours? A good way of examining what we treasure is to ask some searching questions, perhaps. What is it that you cannot live without? What is it that you'd be willing to sacrifice anything for? What do you worry about the most? What makes you angry? See, our hearts are like treasure tests. We hold in them the things we want to cherish and protect. 
Some of these things we cherish and protect are actually good things. We love and cherish our family, our friends, our pets even. We treasure our time, we treasure our work, our career, we treasure our church. These are good things. But when we value these things more than we value God or treasure Him, our loves are what's termed we get out of order. Our priorities are out of whack. Our hearts quickly place too much value on certain things or certain people. And we, first, in some ways we begin to do more for them than we should. We sacrifice more and more than we should. But we also start to idolise certain things and people more than we should in the sense of expecting them to give us what they simply cannot. We might say that we want comfort, pleasure, security. Again, all good things. But when we idolise them and expect them to be found in things in this world or people in this world, we find ourselves getting fearful when these things are threatened or angry when they are taken away. If you're anything like Sam and his friend with their treasure bucket, and in your honest moments, you also know your treasure buckets are full of junk, full of things that will not last, full of things that are just going to be discarded. Our hearts are what theologian John Calvin called idol factories. We're constantly building and placing our trust in things other than God. We're always loving something else more than we should. How can we know this? How do we diagnose this issue of the idols of our heart, the things that we trust in more than we should? Again, we're called back to the end of verse 45 where Jesus says we actually just listen to your speech. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What is your heart full of? To find that out, to find out what your heart loves and what's out of order, listen to some of the things we might say or that I have said. Listen to some of these statements. And remember that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If I don't get my morning coffee, I can be very grouchy. Seems like a safe one. But at the same time, um, he may be loving that a bit too much. If anything were to happen to my car, you don't know, want to know what I'd do to you. I would do anything for my family. I'd die for them. That sounds like a noble thing. But at the same time, what's the most important thing to live for? Or I'd kill for a week on the beach somewhere. Or what I, I'd give my right arm for a nice breakfast buffet right about now. Or I deserve this. I deserve that. I deserve this promotion. I've slaved for years to prove myself. Or I'd die if they ever said anything bad about me. We have many things in our lives that we place value on. So much so that even our speech, in our speech sometimes, we reflect what our heart's trusting in. 
Even if we say we'd never really do all those things, our hearts reveal what they're defending often by what we say. And we have so many things in life that we place value on so highly that we go so far as to say that we would harm ourselves or even others just for the sake of satisfying the needs of our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we treasure something higher or of greater value than God, that is an evil treasure. You're filling up your bucket with junk. When we love God first, though, and we have everything in order after that, when our loves are in order, then we have good treasure. We have hearts that are full of things that will last. We have hearts that are full of things that are true. We will find that our identity, value, and our place are in God. And this also produces a fruit that overflows to bless others in our speech and in our contact. This is out of the abundance of our hearts. And that's our last sort of thought for this morning. If, if this is all the abundance of our heart, how do we find good abundance? How do I fill my heart with good? Because without God, we seem in a horrible position. I hope we've seen that by now. Without God, we're in a horrible position. Our hearts are full of junk, desperately sick, deceitful. We're prone to treasuring things far too highly and putting them above God. How does this change? How do we go from that to having hearts filled with good? I don't know if you remember our friend from, from last week who was here. Um, he was struggling while he was on holidays with lack of sleep, anxious thoughts about family who are unwell, frustration with cancelled plans and all those sorts of things. Our friend had gotten prickly. He'd shown some thorns. He'd been angry, he'd been short-tempered. And we sort of examined that maybe his heart was idolising comfort and pleasure and security and control more than he wanted to receive the blessings of God and knowing that God could even work good out of bad. How do we fill his heart with good? Because the things coming out of his mouth and what we're filling his heart were not good, they were evil. So how do we fill his heart with good? Well, we put truth there, we remind him of truth, absolutely. To trust in God is always a good step. It's always good to be reminded that the truth of God's grace and salvation is necessary for the everyday life moments, not just the big moments that you've, the first time you've ever heard the gospel. You don't just hear it once. You have to be reminded of it over and over again. Reminding him that God has been faithful in previous times to bring good out of bad and better things out of what he's planned than what our friend planned. But practically, what do we do? How do we encourage our friend to fill his heart with goodness? Or maybe he could start a journal It's the start of the year. Maybe it's a good idea to, to sit down and write one thing a day, mainly for prayer, but write one thing a day in that journal to develop gratitude for others, to start thinking of others, and to start directing his heart in thanks towards God for others. 
Encourage our friend maybe to write one small thing to do, to show appreciation for someone or encourage them or be intentional in an interaction. And that he would not get discouraged or overwhelmed if he fails one day. Put it on the list for the next day. Pray. Do it again. And when you've done it, add another one on. Fill your heart with the good. When loves are out of order, things creep up and fill up that are not good. But the chief commands of God are summed up in the commandment to love God and love others. So focus on the simple things. Fill up your heart with good. In previous work I did, uh, tree removal work, there was a certain type of tree we had to be conscious of and aware of, especially when we were quoting a job. Uh, This particular type of tree required several rounds of poisoning before you could even cut into it, let alone cut it down. And then once it was cut down at various intervals and poisoning sessions over several weeks, even the stump that remained had to be poisoned several times before it could be fully removed. This was also the tree that didn't shoot back to life again or send up little suckers and new trees all over a client's yard. The process was labour-intensive, time-consuming and costly. But a full removal meant full death to the tree. There was no other way for it to be fully removed. There's no such thing as a, a partial removal for those kind of trees. Now, our hearts are a lot like that kind of tree. As much as Jesus has come and rescued us, He's rescued us from our condition of our hearts. He's taken upon himself the consequences of our sin. In his own body on the tree, he became a curse for us. He who knew no sin became sin. Jesus did all of this. He redeemed us, setting us free from bondage to sin. And he rose again to new life to give us new life. As much as this is true, even for us, as believers who put our trust in that, we need to constantly be putting sin to death. Otherwise, it quickly overcomes us again. We do this through repentance and faith, which we'll look at a bit more next week. But we do this by trusting in what God has provided, trusting in Christ alone as the source of our hope and life, trusting in God as a sovereign God who does all things well, We do this also by when we put our faith and trust in God, we receive the Spirit who gives us fruit. We do this by inviting Jesus to reign in our lives, to reign in our hearts, to call him Lord and build our lives on him and on his word, just as Jesus instructs in the verses that follow our passage this morning, to build our lives on him. This is where real change happens when the words out of our mouths come from hearts that are filled with jesus when we can call him lord and our lives show that he is lord and ruling our hearts let's pray oh father we we acknowledge this morning that we need you to do our work in us We're so grateful for your love and mercy to us in sending your Son 
And we're grateful that when we put our faith and trust in him, we are forgiven and we are redeemed, we are set free. Lord, help us to continue putting death, putting sin to death, to keep claiming the victory of Jesus over the things in our lives that rule our hearts, that affect our speech, that affect our behaviour and our conduct towards others and especially towards you. Lord, forgive us for our sins and we claim that forgiveness through Jesus, but Lord, grant us new life the same way. Help us to live in that new life. Help us to become more like Jesus and to keep chasing after real change in him. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.